So hello and welcome to this week's episode of Sarah Fisher Talks Connective Parenting. I'm one excited lady this week. I have the Buzz Model team with me. Yay! <laughs> and, you know, if you are, well, I, I don't know, you must know what this is. You must understand it because it's all over the place and everyone's saying how wonderful it is. So I am really looking forward to the team explaining all about how the Buzz Model works and how it helps kids um, and how we can kind of be doing it at home as well, if I understand it correctly. So I'm going to hand over to the bus model team and they're going to introduce themselves and tell us all about it. So, ladies, shall I hand over to you? Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. It's just so lovely to be here. Really, really appreciate this invitation to come on your very, very prestigious podcast that we've all listened to and thought, ooh, isn't that, isn't that great? And I have to say, I feel a bit of a stalker because my maiden name was Sarah Fisher. So when you asked me, I was like, ooh, another Sarah Fisher. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> Which I think was um, probably a bit strange for poor Sarah. But um, let me introduce to you, I'm, my, I'm, I'm Sarah and I developed the, the bus model and I'm so delighted to be joined this morning by two of our um, experts by experience, two of our parent mentors, Vicky and Ruth. Do you want to just in, in, introduce yourselves and then I'll go back and introduce the model really. Vicky, how about you starting? Yeah, so um, I'm Vicky. Uh, as Sarah says, I'm one of the parent mentors um, in the bus team and been working with Sarah for a few years now and seen amazing results. And it's my role to help to support some of the other parents who are, are going through the, the bus journey at the moment. Ruth. Hi, I'm Ruth. I'm another one of the parent mentors with the bus team. I've been working with Sarah since the beginning of this year, 2020, and as well seen incredible improvements with our son. We've worked remotely, so we've um, been doing it all at home over Zoom and video, and that's, that's worked brilliantly for us. And now I'm a parent mentor on the team, so I help other families on the journey as well. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so BUS stands for Building Underdeveloped Sensory Motor Systems. And really, it's an intervention for children um, and young people who've experienced kind of that broad term developmental trauma, really, whose start in life hasn't been as good as, from our point of view, their brain and central nervous system needs it to be for it to develop properly. And I think we're pretty used um, to understanding that when children have had a, a rocky start, that um, things like making relationships and tuning into their bodies and how they're feeling and being able to manage big feelings, I think we're, we're good at understanding that those things are difficult. But I think when I was, was working and, and coming to develop this model, it seemed to me that we are not as good at understanding that actually... To, to develop the way humans really are designed to develop is that when they're born after that 40 long weeks in, in utero, lots of things need to happen in that 40 weeks in utero for their brain and central nervous system to be in a state for them to be able to continue to develop once they've been born. And then what, once they've been born, what they need is a loving, nurturing, predictable relationship that will allow their level of arousal to be low enough for their body to go through the sorts of movements that it needs to do at critical stages of development to prime their brain and central nervous system so that 
they um their foundation sensory motor systems get 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 into place now that is a little bit jargony foundation sensory motor systems but really what we're talking about are all the things that we're able to do without thinking so the fact that we're on zoom recording this and i can see that sarah and vicky and ruth are all able to sit really still on their seats they're not falling off their chairs i would i would tell you they're not having to hold their head up with their hand they're not having to fidget loads and loads and loads just to keep themselves still so there's a level of um conversation going on all the time inside their bodies between their brain and central nervous system and their muscles and joints that just keep letting their body know where it is and um I, I know that if, if Vicky wants to take a drink, she'll be able to, without even thinking, reach out, get her cup and have a, a, a drink of her coffee. She doesn't have to think to herself, OK, so my glass is about oh, an arm length over there. How much pressure or force would I have to use in that movement? Do I make a grab for it? Will I knock it off? She can do all of those things without thinking because her foundation sensory motor systems are in really good sh shape. And I think I came to understand this, this more. I've worked for a very long time. I've worked since ooh, 1988 as an occupational therapist and done other psychological therapy trainings, um, really play therapy, EMDR, group work, did a master's in psychoanalytic studies, lots of things that are really useful in understanding the relational um, context of, of, of trauma, but um, not as useful in understanding the bodily side of things. So... When, when we were living up in, in Scotland, um, 2005 to 2013, I was, we were, I was part of a wonderful team, the Springfield Project, who were asked to develop a, a therapeutic service for children who were in foster care at, at that point. There, there wasn't anything around that, that, that was happening at that time. And we, so we were only seeing children who were, who were looked after at that point and began to notice really how dysregulated on a bodily level they, they were, that I noticed that these children were um, tripping over much more than children of their age. They, they really, really struggled to do things like use cutlery, right? Um, to, to, to know when they needed to go to the toilet, to know when they were hungry, when they were full. And um, their movements were much more kind of crashy and bangy than other children. And I thought there must be something. This can't just be a coincidence. There, this must be something about what their early experience has been and the legacy of that. And I tried really hard. I thought other people must be thinking about this. I tried really hard to find other things. Um, but all of the things that I could find were about a psychological understanding of the body. You know, I love that, the van der Kolk work and things. The body keeps the score. But it is very much, it's, it's not thinking about the nuts and bolts of actually how do we move from crawling to standing, from standing to walking from walking to running what are the things that need to happen in the background for all of those stages of development to take place so i went and did a bit of sensory integration training and what sensory integration really helpfully does is to describe in kind of minute detail all of those movements that babies bodies need to go through during the 40 weeks in utero and then once they're born to get their brain and central nervous system really in tip-top shape and um, so that was really helpful for me because I already had lots of the attachment and the kind of neurodevelopmental understanding of the impact of trauma on the developing brain all of that wonderful Bruce Perry stuff because what sensory integration doesn't do is it doesn't talk about the relationship that those movements need to happen in and so it doesn't really talk at all about trauma or why things might have um, be a bit umpty-doo because 
there hasn't been the relational context to allow the child to move. And so what, what I did, what I really wanted to do is to do bring those two worlds together. I thought <clears throat> that sensory integration stuff is so helpful, but it, it really needs an understanding of trauma and an understanding of relationship. And so what the bus model is, is bringing all of those things together. And it's a hugely hopeful model. It's saying that it doesn't, not that it doesn't matter, but it's not a barrier and the fact that a child might not have gone through those patterns of movement at the right time, because when we've got a safe, nurturing relationship, then we can go back and we can redo things that have been missed. And that as well as rebuilding those foundation systems, it also has a lovely knock-on effect in terms of parent-child relationship and the um, emotional reg- regulation, because a really important part of BUS is that Parents are experts in their children. And what bus practitioners can do is to lend a lens, really, and help you see what we can notice in terms of your child's movement and the understanding we have about how that relates to these vestibular proprioceptive tactile systems. But what you have as parents is the understanding of your child, the relationship with your child. And it's within that relationship that the change will happen. So as Ruth said, I haven't met her little boy. Um, We've done it all remotely and um, it's, it's going fine. I feel like that was a big, long spiel, Sarah. Is there anything you want to come in with? (laughs) No, it's it's fantastic, isn't it? Because there is that gap. And as a parent, you don't always know what it is you don't know and how to help your child. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, my son had OT support um, and I know lots of children do. And it was it's always like good fun, if that makes sense. So that kind of Mm -hmm. sensory integration, sensory attachment integration is is always just good fun games. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hold Mm -hmm. on, I want to go because actually Mm -hmm. this looks like fun Mm -hmm. and building some of that in at home. But it is Mm -hmm. that kind of knowing how to do it in the best way and realizing it's developmental. um, Absolutely. and, And starting at the bottom and working way up rather than going, oh, here's the problem. Absolutely. And I think that's where. It, it's different the bus model from kind of more traditional we what we, we do what we don't we definitely don't do sensory integration therapy that is definitely what we don't do we borrow the theoretical framework from sensory integration to understand the meaning of what's missing and then we work with parents to develop games and activities that was, was work with them work with their children to to rebuild the gaps in in those foundation systems yeah. um and I wonder if I think the best way to illustrate that is to hear from parents about what they've about about what they've done. And I didn't know, Vicky and Ruth, if you were up for just talking a wee bit about about your children a little bit, a little bit. I think a little bit of context helpful just to understand a little bit about their not huge personal details, but a little bit about how their life was before be, before they came to you and what you noticed. What, what help we try to get and then what you've managed to do um, as we've been working together. Does that sound okay? Mm-hmm. That'd yeah. be really helpful if you guys are happy to share. It's so good to put it into real kind of real life situations, isn't it? Absolutely. Otherwise it just feels like lots of words, doesn't it? You want to kind of understand what does this really mean? What does it look like? Um, Vicky, do you want to, to start us off? Yes, certainly. Yeah. So um, our little girl came to live with us when she was 14 months old, Sarah, and she was um, taken into care at birth, but there'd been a lot of trauma pre-birth. You know, Sarah's talking about in utero development and you start, once you start working with bus, you start putting some things in place in terms of uh, 
what might have led us to the point yeah. where we were at. And um, foster care was very chaotic as well. And so when she came to us, she was just like a little whirlwind, really. She never stopped. She couldn't focus on playing on or toys. She uh, was what we said was very accident prone and lacking in coordination. So throughout her early years, you know, trip over fresh air, always bruised, really struggle to do some of the things you would expect younger children to be able to do when it came to the playground and skipping and all of those kind of things. Um, she also was born with a little extra flap of skin over her esophagus, which meant that um, she often would choke when she was feeding. So especially in foster care, there was quite a bit of prop feeding going on. And again, I mean, we, have, we could spend all day talking about this and just giving you little bits because you'd explore that a bit more and realize that can have a, ha a massive impact as well on on that regulation as well. Because I think, Vicky, you very much experienced what I think a lot of, 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 of adoptive parents experience of people saying things like, oh, 14 months, oh, that's nothing. Oh, oh, removed at birth. Oh, she'll not have any difficulties. Oh, she's been a fussy. Oh, everything will be completely fine. Yeah. Um, and really everything wasn't completely no. fine for her. What, what was it? And Sarah, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said you don't know what you don't know, do you? And we were a very small family. We didn't have many friends at that time who had children. And, and so in terms of typically development, uh, typical development, we had no idea. Um, so this went on. Um, and then once school came along and the challenges of school, that's where the proverbial really hit the father in terms of some of the things that my little girl um needed to do at school like carpet time queuing writing never been interested in picking up a pen or, or drawing or things like that because it was very very difficult for her as Sarah was saying so much energy was taken up trying to just sit it was very difficult so um that's where we were when we got in touch with post-adoption support and met Sarah and got uh, an assessment uh, for our little girl in terms of her systems and as, as Sarah says put a program of activities in place um, and then yeah it was just cracking on and putting doing those games doing those activities making it fun making it part of that building those relationships as well and um, some quite simple things that needed to be done well I would say I think so. And I think if we just think of something like carpet time, which we think of as, oh, that's a nice part of reception and year one. For me, carpet time is like, for these children, is like saying, right, tomorrow, say, go and climb Everest. Um, sorry, no, no preparation. But, you know, it's just a hill. Just walk up and be fine. Um, it, you know, there is no way, I, I don't know, maybe you're a keen mountaineer, but there's no way I could do that do no. that at all because I haven't got what we think of a lot of us, the prerequisite skills. What would I need in terms of strength, in terms of stamina? And it's just the same. If children haven't gone through those things, if they haven't spent time on their tummies as babies, if they haven't spent time on their tummies having fun as babies, where they've been looking up, hearing someone's voice, looking round, having some interesting toys in front of them, reaching out for them, all of that, all of those kind of months when they're doing that are hugely important for building what we call core strength and stability. And in terms of bus, core is not just abdominal muscles, which is what people often think of it as, but it's about head, neck, shoulder girdle and trunk strength. And um, if, if babies haven't spent those early months doing that, 
it's very difficult to catch up without going back and doing something that will 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 take your body through those patterns of movement because if you've not got great head control by the time you get to school then you really just spend a lot of time having to think about okay how am I going to manage my head I'll prop it on my hand I'll lie down on my desk I'll try and lean back against something you do all sorts of things to try and prop prop up a bit like at the moment with my I've broken my leg and I'm getting it getting to be a little bit better on my crutches and trying to do everything in a different way but oh boy I can't wait to be able to go back and actually just put my foot on the ground whereas for children who've experienced developmental trauma it's not like that it's not as if for a little while their body doesn't work it's that they've never known their body to feel any other way so they absolutely in my experience and I think um, both of your children would be good examples of this they can absolutely see what other children can do that they can't do but that doesn't just being able to see what you want to be able to do doesn't mean that you you, you can do it so it really is about when you talk about going back to the basics it really is about going really back to the basics and getting um, with with you, we want Vicky. Let's get back onto our tummies. Let's get back onto our tummies. Let's play some really fun, interesting games. Let's really carefully grade them so that we can see where a child's able to start that feels safe and comfortable. And then, how do we begin to just increase the level of challenge just a bit, and then just a bit more, and just a bit more? I'm always talking. I'm always doing staircase analogies. It's you know we have to go back and start down at the bottom of the staircase. And it may be <coughs> that children have some islands of functioning that are like step seven on the staircase. But if they haven't got step one to six, when step seven skills falter a bit then they fall right back down to the beginning. So it's, it's really about going back and putting in all of the foundations, just as you would with a house. It's like the house has been built, but we haven't gone, we haven't gone down and, and put in foundations that will allow it to be a really stable structure and then allow you, once you've got your stable house structure, you might think, oh, fancy a pergola, oh, fancy an extension, I fancy something else. And you want to be able to make the house more interesting in the way that we want to be able to, once we've got that basic repertoire of movement, be able to make things a bit fancier, to be able to add in running, skipping, jumping, change of direction, using chopsticks, all sorts of things that are more interesting. And that's that's absolutely where we started with Yuri one, wasn't it, Vicky? We spent a long time, and we still sometimes spend time, don't we, on her tummy, um, going back, doing commando crawling, playing lots of games. You've got a great game. You must come on. You come on training. We have a Vicky's great play your cards right game, which yeah. is, I think, at the moment, my personal favourite for being on your tummy <laughs> with a washing basket and a pack of cards. The most fun you can have in rebuilding a, a, a foundation system. Can, can you use this then with any age of child? Because I'm just mm. thinking if you had a 10-year-old and you mm. said, right, now you're going to lie on your tummy and start playing games, mm-hmm. I can imagine the response from some of them. And well, it won't necessarily be, yes, of course, I'll do that. Yeah, I think what, what the joy is that once children get a little bit older, you can think with them a little bit more easily about what's happening. And generally, children have a fair idea of things that we'd like to be able to do that they can't do. So sometimes it's that kind of school pressure of wanting a pen license, other children wanting to be able to ride their scooter or wanting to be able to join in those games of football at lunchtime. And... Um, I always start by asking children, how do you find your body? Does it do what you need it to do? Do you find that generally, you know, if you're wanting to, if your head thinks of something, your body can do it. And and really by about eight, nine, 10, children have got a fairly good idea and will often 
be terribly thoughtful about it. I remember one little boy who was eight saying to me, hmm, he said, Sarah, now you come to mention it, I think I've got a blockage. My head knows what it wants my body to do, but when it comes to it, my hands just don't do it. Or older children, you know, work quite a lot with teenagers who will say, oh, God, no, it's a nightmare. Um, you know, I try running and I, just, I look like an octopus because my arms are all over the shop and my legs can do what I want them to do or my arms can do what I want them to do, but I can't get them both to do it together. So then I try running. This particular young woman was trying running with her hands in her pockets so she wouldn't look so silly. But I don't know if you've ever tried running with your hands in your pockets incredibly difficult and you're very likely to fall over very quickly so then she just took herself out of situations where any running would be required or and and that's what tends to happen is children become so aware of what they can't do they remove themselves from those situations or they behave in ways that are seen as oh i don't know what words do people use attention seeking naughty um to to try and mask to try and cover up i remember one lad i i worked with who had no, he probably had the least core stability. He was about nine when I met him. Probably had about the least core stability of anybody I've met. He couldn't walk in a straight line. And I remember thinking, we are not, I am not letting you go until I have got you walking in a straight line so that you don't feel as incredibly self-conscious. And he described what he would do at school because he couldn't stand up in a line because he couldn't stand still, is that he would, when it line up time, he would do flips and things in the line. And he would always get into trouble for that. But in his head, he was in control of when the other children laughed at him rather than waiting to fall over and then them, them laugh at him. So... Yes. Sorry, Vicky. No. I was going to say a couple of things to add to that as well. When when you get to the age of kind of nine, nine or ten, um, I mean, I say it's 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 like the opposite of a vicious cycle. It's a vir- virtuous cycle in that the kids, I think, start feeling themselves more in their body and and stronger in the way, and so it it, it gains momentum that way. But also, when we're doing games and activities, my little girl's ten now. Um, you are getting on the floor with them. You are getting down and dirty. So it's not like you're saying, right, drop me, drop down and give me 10, you know. Um, and so it becomes, it, it, there are ways you can do it that, that are fun and um, are working without them really realising some, some of the time as well. And I think that's in what's in my mind because I know some of the parents I work with are working with, you know, some fantastic OTs and they're trying to do stuff at home and their kids are like, well, I'm not doing that. You want me to regulate. Why would I do that? And they're not wanting to. And I think that's the difference I'm hearing with what you guys are talking about is actually is more about as much about creating connection with them and having fun as it is about helping them develop. Mm. Absolutely. That's the difference, isn't it? As you said, Vicky, it's not about you go and do this because it's going to help you out. It's we're doing this together. Yeah. Um, And also helping children to understand that um, I think it's very liberating for children to realize it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that your body just hasn't been through the patterns of movement it needs to, yes. to be able to do this. It would be like expecting you to be able to just jump on a bike and ride it without without practicing. You know, you don't get a bike for Christmas and then Boxing Day, right, I'm in the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a very long period of, of training that would happen between those, those things. And so quite often with, with, with older children, we'll sit down and we'll watch videos of babies and look at what babies need to do to get their bodies into, into shape and think about how, um, for whatever reason, that didn't happen for them. And that's why they're tripping and bumping or um, struggling to sit still or why they have to spend so much of their energy 
managing their body and then I've got spending all of the time I don't know trying to sit on a chair at school that they've no energy left to listen because all of that brain is consumed with got to keep still and and then you have got to work out what for this child is going to make it the most fun to be on the floor is it that I don't know suddenly the only time we have chocolate in this household is when we're lying on our tummies on the floor watching a film um is that is that what's going to do it you know what is and that's where, you know, parents know their children. They know what will be motivating for the kids. The kids know what will be motivating for them. You know, what is going to make, this is going to be hard work. What's going to make it seem like more fun? How can we do it so that it's enjoyable? But also, we're talking really short bursts to start with. Often we're looking at 20, 30 seconds to start with. Um, we're not talking about, you know, hours and hours and hours of time. 20 seconds with a child lying on their tummy in a good position is gold dust. A beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful start to, to things. And then as children build capacity, they then get all of the good feedback about, hey, I couldn't do this last week and now I can do it this week. And there is nothing more motivating than thinking, woohoo, actually I'm going to be loads better at this than I thought I was going to be. And seeing yourself get better. And then as you get better at things, coincidences start to happen. So for a lot of children, they might it might be that, hmm, it seems to be easier to notice when they need to go to the toilet and so they don't have so many accidents or they haven't needed their chewy toy at school as, as much. That's funny, I forgot to take it out of my bag today. Or they manage to play a game at school. You know, all of those things start to fall into place. And so you get, as Vicky says, that virtuous circle of success building on success. And because you've engaged the child in the family as part of the process, then they know that hmm, all my own work, really, that's because I'm doing all of that, that work that these things are getting easier. With younger children, you can almost do it by stealth and they don't really need to know, they absolutely don't need to know what, why you're doing it. And I'm always keen to, to get involved as early in the life of the child as, as possible, just to, I mean, really, why have all of that heartache and difficulty when you're 10 when we could sort that out when you're you know I don't know born when you're 13 months when you're when, when you're much younger which I think is probably a good time to bring, bring you in Ruth because your wee one is much smaller isn't he he was, he was three yeah. when we met wasn't he do you want to just talk a little bit about about your wee one of course yeah we adopted our son he came home at 16 months old it was an intercountry adoption. He'd been in orphanages um, up to that point. And even though he started crawling at about 13 months and then walking at about 16 months just after we got home, both of those movements seemed difficult for him. They seemed um, like uh, not coordinated, uh, not smooth at all. It didn't come naturally to him. And I'd seen a lot of children um, at that stage of development uh, anyway beforehand, and it just didn't feel it didn't feel the same. So then, when he started at nursery, uh, they noticed some things that I'd been noticing too, and um, things like bumping into bumping into something just when he was trying to walk around it. Um, very limited attention for his age. He selected his play, so had no interest in any fine motor activities, nothing to do with pens, pencils, picking anything up like that, drawing. Um, his general coordination and balance weren't, weren't good at all. He didn't want to lift his feet off the ground. He couldn't jump. Um, 
and he had excessive dribble as well at that age. Um, eating was really difficult for him, uh, the sitting down to eat and the actual physical eating as well. And all of these things, I I kept looking for answers. So I spoke to, um, we got an occupational therapist involved, a paediatrician we went to see, uh, the local authority special needs team, various social workers, um, health visitors. And they were either starting to discuss things like ADHD, autism, sensory processing disorder, um, or they were saying, he's been through a lot, he'll catch up. Like, don't worry about it, just he's he needs time, he needs space to develop. And my gut instinct was that these things we're not something that we're just going to miraculously catch up with everyone else. So I can, but I also didn't think um, that pathologizing it at that point was right either. It felt like he literally needed something. He was missing, you know, that part of his development. And eventually I found Sarah's book, her first book and read it. And it was like a light bulb moment for me. I, I, every page, I just couldn't believe that I found something that made complete sense so I got in touch with Sarah and we're about 200 miles between us and it was the start of the first national lockdown as well. And I said, look, I really think this can help. I really think, can we try uh, remotely? And we did. And it's just been incredible. When he went back to nursery after the lockdown, um, yeah, Sarah mentioned he was three when we when we first started working together. He went back to nursery and when I went to pick him up, loads of the workers came out and and they were like what have you done what have you done while you've been locked down he's like a different boy he could sit and take part in their circle time he sat and read a book with his friend he um was getting involved in more activities he was giving more eye contact um, and more facial expression because that's something they picked up on as well. He's always, he just looked so serious, like he was concentrating even to walk. You know, everything was difficult. Um, he was smiling more, laughing more. And it was, yeah, it's, it was incredible. And we're still, we're still working together now um, and seeing, seeing improvements. I must admit the first part of working together the improvements were really rapid um it was incredible now you know we're still working just as hard but the improvements are, are smaller but they're still coming and he can jump now he can ride his scooter things that he just I couldn't have even imagined him him doing when we first we first started working together and yeah, simple things, tummy time. So you think when a child can't jump, you practice jumping. You don't at all. Like we did no work whatsoever on jumping and just trying to improve his his sense of gravitational security, which Sarah might want to explain. But, you know, just rocking him really slowly in a homemade hammock, um, rocking on a rocking chair to read our books carrying him around he was still just about small enough to sometimes put him in my my toddler carrier carrying him around more um and we did lots of lying on our tummies lots and lots and still do uh crawling games things like that and he can now he can now walk up and down the stairs not not perfectly we've still got a little bit of work to do but he used to have to go on his bottom 
up and down stairs and or like hold on with two hands on the banister to get up and down the stairs. Um, he loves jumping in puddles. We went to the beach this weekend. He was jumping over the waves. Um, so yeah, it's been just just amazing. It's it's made such a difference to um, his attention span and his his he's not as frustrated anymore either. So he's he's just happier as well. It's lovely and, to hear that, Ruth, yeah. isn't it? And to hear you just go. I mean, the childhood should be about having fun and jumping in puddles and doing all of that exploration that your body needs to do then for a, a million other things. But when you haven't when when you don't feel comfortable when your feet are off the ground when you can't really control what your body's doing those things are no fun at all um they just become more obstacles to try to to try and overcome and what i love when i see videos of, of him I, I just the joy of scooting jumping i feel like he's king of puddle jumping at the moment he just love love all of those videos of him jumping in puddles and really having fun and that you know by him doing all of those things he's building the next stages that he needs that he needs to do um, and it's just so important isn't it not to feel the pressure to rush on and be thinking okay so this is his chronological age so this is where we should be aiming for but to really certainly bus is all about okay, let's just stop there and let's just look back and think, what do we know of a child's experiences? So what sense can we make of what's been missed? And then let's have a look at them. Let's have a look at them moving, walking, sitting at a table, eating, whatever it is. Let's have a look at them doing very normal things and let's understand then where the gaps are and make a plan of where we might where we might start with them. Really, I think at its essence is what BUS is all about. Would you... Would you agree to that? Absolutely, that yeah. And I guess I'd, the one point to add as well is you feel quite isolated in in these situations. Sometimes you go to a, you know, a mum and toddler group, and you're the only one that's got a child that can't. You just can't do it. They can't sit down. They can't participate in the same way. Um, or going to the playground and really helpful parents come up to me and say they think that I should have his feet measured because he can't walk properly in his shoes and things like that. And you just think. Mm, Thanks, thanks. That's not that's not the problem, um, you know. And it can be, but there's help. There's help out there. And bus has made such a huge difference for us. I think, if nothing else, try it. Try it first. If you're unsure, if a child's missed out on these developments. And the other thing, I guess, I'd say they present differently. I've got a, I've got a friend who. Um, whose child definitely presents differently. They've got really good um, sensory motor systems in some areas, um, but not in others. So they look very different, but it will still help as well. So if you're, if you're not sure, just try it. It won't do any harm at all. No, and what I'm thinking is actually to be able to create such change in a short period of time as well is so mm -hmm. powerful because so often these things seem to take a lot lot and I'm not saying that's a failure of the other systems but they take a lot longer and actually to be able to see results quite quickly is really powerful isn't it it is and, and could stop a misdiagnosis as you said you could easily go down the wrong route of it being something else when actually it's developmental yeah and so do it first and see what you're left with yeah. at the end that's what Sarah's always explained about some of the children she's worked with um so yeah, see see what difference bus makes and then and then go from there. 
My dream is that we can, you know, we have in bus, we have the kind of the clinical part of bus and then we have a training part of bus too. My, my dream is that one day as children are, are removed or when children are in situations that, where there are clearly going to be gaps, the, the, the people who they come across are thinking, okay, let's think about their sensory motor systems. Let's think about that motor development within the context of, of, of the relationship. That would be, oh, that, that is definitely our dream to be able to train enough people um, to, 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 to have a culture of thinking about bringing the body back together with the, um, with the mind, really. Because um, it wasn't something, I mean, my son moved in well, six and a half years ago now. Yeah. And uh, seems like a long time ago. And uh, <laughs> even in a good way. Seems like a long time ago in a good way. I must say that, actually, bless him. Um, but it seemed it wasn't even mentioned then. Sensory mm-hmm. stuff wasn't even like acknowledged as possibly even being an issue. And it was me picking it up and then going, yeah, something's not working here. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of phoning around and talking to people and being lucky that I worked in a school environment. So I mm-hmm. had contacts to be able to say, okay, mm-hmm. guys, what am I doing? What do I need? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also wondering, listening, sorry, Vicky. I'm sorry, Sarah, I was just going to say, you know, at one point with our little girl, we were being told she won't be able to stay in mainstream education. Mm. And we work with Sarah and we did the programme and she is, well, I had parents evening earlier in the week and he's saying she's thriving, she's doing really well, she's focusing, her handwriting is brilliant. You know, you're just getting so, so much positive stuff. And we have done in, in previous years. I'm not saying it's taken four years because it absolutely hasn't. But that just shows. Yeah. That just shows how at one point, you know, that little girl was being written off, basically, in terms of mainstream education. And, and, and was out of the classroom all the time, wasn't she? Not allowed to be out in the playground with the other children mm-hmm. because she was so anxious. She was hitting out, you know, just bad F funding, you know, like the highest sort of but stuff. And there now, was a fascinating article in the Times this weekend mm-hmm. by a school who are recognising that some children really struggle with this, mm-hmm. doing what they can do within the classroom mm-hmm. environment to help them without this knowledge, but saying, you know, actually we've got beanbags for some of the kids to sit on. We've got wobble cushions. We've got this, we've got that mm-hmm. because they're recognizing that kids are struggling, but don't mm-hmm. necessarily know what to do to help. And that, you know, it's not necessarily a teacher's role. They're not able to do that necessarily. But we could so skill the them up to be able to absolutely. do it. Absolutely. And that's because what I mean. I don't want kids on beanbags in classrooms. I want us to think, okay, so they're not getting enough strength from their core to yeah. sit up. Let's go back and let's build that but so that we can have them yeah. able to able to do it. But in the meantime, however we need to get on, let's, let's get yeah. it. I just thought it was so lovely that actually a teacher was recognising so the mm. kids weren't getting in trouble for not I being must look that up. I think I might get in touch with them and say, are you interested in some training? Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was fascinating that they were just, I think I shared the link on my... Um, Oh, did you? Made, yeah. Oh, good. And I just thought it was really fascinating that actually the school were recognising it and not seeing it as a negative. Yeah. They were like, okay, these kids are struggling. How can we help them with the knowledge we currently have as opposed to why aren't you standing still? You're now in trouble for not standing still or mm. sitting still or whatever it was. The other question I've got in my mind is mm. whether this is only for children who are maybe in the care system or have been adopted. So I work with lots of birth families where maybe the birth, you know, the pregnancy was difficult, birth was difficult, mum maybe had postnatal depression, so the connection isn't there and the behaviours are very similar in mm-hmm. terms of the kind of aggression, the frustration. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, this would 
unless I'm missing something, this will work. No, you're, you're completely right. And what's lovely about that, and we've, um, Vicky introduced me to a friend of hers whose little one had spent, um, had had to have a bone marrow transplant, hadn't he, in, in that first year of life and spent a lot of time in a little bubble, like an incubator bubble. So, you know, hadn't had 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 missed out so much on um, the sorts of patterns of movements that are, that we need to go to to go through. And it, it, you're right; it's exactly the same stuff. Um, what you don't have is the relational trauma, which makes it actually so much easier because um, it's not you. You're not swimming against the tide. You kind of got the tide going go, 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 going with you. Um, but, but but absolutely, and 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 prem prem babies too. You know the things that happen in that last eight weeks of of pregnancy in terms of building the vestibular system, which is all about core strength and stability, are, are, are so, so important. And um, being able to move around as a baby in utero, um, so not having a parent who's too, too stressed, um, all of those things make a huge, huge, huge yeah. difference. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It, this is powerful stuff, isn't it? Oh, it's so exciting mm. stuff, honestly. I And I, I feel like we've taken it to where we've taken it so far, but... What I love is working with parents, working with other people and thinking, right, come on, gosh, here's another, as you say, another whole group of children. What do they need? How can we, what, what's the level of training? In, in Leeds, I work in, I work three days in, in employed by CAMS, seconded into fostering and adoption. And what I've set up there with our virtual school, a brilliant virtual school in, in Leeds. Big shout out to Jancis Andrews, who's a brilliant virtual school head. And um, she's funded me to run um, school readiness groups for preschool children who are looked after. So we get children at two and three and work with them for a year or two, however long we need to, with their foster carers to try and just fill in this movement gap yeah. and the relational gap before they before they start school. And that's a programme that I'm trying to manualise and write so that I want everybody to be thinking about this with their with their nursery cohort. Even if that's all we do, we ask people to look at their nursery cohorts and think, how am I going to make sense of what I'm seeing and what can we do as a nursery environment to, 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 to move that on? But my background's not education. I need good education people to say, oh, come on, we can do this. Let's do, let's do this together. Um, because it, it just feels as if we could do so much, and but in a very empowering and fun. Yeah. For me, if it's not fun, then really probably I don't know I've got a fairly limited attention span I'm not going to be wanting to do it for long never mind asking asking a child to do it um how can we make it fun how can we make it seem interesting but we've absolutely got to get it right and I think sometimes that the trouble when you try and generalize is that you lose the specific bits of technique that often when I'm working and I work a lot with schools you know they 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 so want to get it right that they get completely carried away and do you know they're on step 11 and we've actually we've still not got step one you know when I said I just really want you to lie on your tummies to read storybooks that is really what I meant not okay do that for three seconds and then oh let's go off and do something that's a bit more challenging for the rest of the no really really stay if you could stay lying on your tummies reading a story in the classroom that would be phenomenal if and I suppose that's the whole class kind of challenge, isn't it? That some will really need to lie on their tummies for a lot and some will mm. be ready to be further up the ladder. Absolutely. Um, and and I, I love, there was one school we were working with 
um, in, in North Yorkshire who I honestly, my heart sang the day when I heard that actually they changed assembly so that everyone was lying on their tummies for assembly rather than wriggling and squirming and getting into trouble for not sitting still and not listening. And the surprise that they had when the children were doing that, how they actually seemed to have listened to what they were saying at assembly and <laughs> taken it in a bit, which they were absolutely amazed at. And then, sitting still on the floor is not comfortable for the best of any of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas if you've got no sense of where your body is, unless you're, you know, crashing into somebody else and you can't hold yourself up, it's just torture really, isn't it? I think the fact that these children manage as well as they do is phenomenal, really. And if we can just make life easier, then, oh, I would so love us to be able to do that. So if you had, I'm going to kind of start wrapping it up now. If you had one top tip, I'm going to ask each of you, one top tip you could mm-hmm. share, what would it be? So, Sarah, I'm going to jump on you first. And get okay. You I would just say, begin to notice, first of all, how you move. So just become self-conscious. So when you're walking around, notice how your body manages it. Try and think, not what are you doing, but how are you doing it? So notice that. Try and notice which part of my body is leading this movement. Which part, you know, think about the 100 meters runners when they're crossing the line and they can't tell who's finished first and they have that red line and it's their head that goes first. And it's always our head that should be leading, leading our bodies, not our legs, not our feet. So think about, think about your own body. Think about how you're doing it and then begin to think, if you can, how the right and left hand side of your body is working together. So notice when you're walking that when you walk, when you put your right foot forward, your left arm moves forward. And when you put your left foot forward, your right arm moves forward. And then speed up, go backwards, slow down. Really use yourself as a training ground for then beginning to notice how your child moves. Brilliant. Thank you. Ruth? Um, Watch some typically developing children, watch some videos, watch some babies moving. There's so many, you know, so many options now on YouTube Um, or home videos. If you've got if you've got other children, um, friends and family and spend time on your tummies in a straight line with your legs together. And your hips on the floor. And your (laughs) hips. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something about us that's deceptively simple, but actually, you know, I see lots of children say, "Oh, we spend loads of time on our tummy." But actually, I call that your side, really, rather than your tummy. And if you're not actually on your tummy, you're not building head, neck, shoulder girdle. It's it it, it is. Um, I don't know. I quite enjoy Strictly come dancing and it's okay you've got to be both a bit of Bruno Tognoli and super exuberant and oh that's wonderful that's fantastic we found the floor and that's brilliant and also a bit of Craig Revel Hall was saying hmm are both hips on the floor hmm where are the legs hmm where's the stability coming from so you've got to have that combination of kind of cheerleading as Katie would, would, would call it and um, real attention to detail with it which is why it's helpful to often to have another pair of eyes walking along with you yeah brilliant and Vicky I think for me, um, thinking back to where we were, we were at quite a low point, you know, when we were with, we're lucky enough to be introduced to Sarah. And I know there'll be families out there who probably are in very similar situations. And I would say, dig deep and find that little bit of energy, that little bit of capacity to start looking at bus um, and, and seeing what it could do do for you. I mean, Sarah, right at the start, talked about hope. And that is huge. And it gave us um, an amazing amount of hope and and look where we are now and it, it will do the same for other families so 
dig deep even when you're absolutely exhausted and think we we haven't got the capacity to do this you have and you can and you can make a massive massive difference to your family brilliant thank you that's a lovely tip to end on Sarah where can they find out more you've got a website and I know you've got some amazing books they're absolutely brilliant oh bless you yes we've got a website www.busmodel.org and then there's a couple of books that, that, that I've written um, that, that, that hopefully are helpful. Um, so that, that's a good start, a good starting place. I think it's, it's, it's important to see that, you know, 98% of the families we see are funded by the Adoption Support Fund. Um, so it's not, you know, it's, you know, I really feel it. That fund is there. We need to be using it. And this seems to me to be an, an important thing to be, to, to be doing and um, won't use up all of somebody's money, but it'll, it'll take a bit. And hopefully that bit will give a foundation to allow other things to, to be more effective. It's, it's absolutely not the be all and end all. It's not the answer to everything. But it, it's about getting a little bit, some of those foundation blocks in place so that then the structure can grow from there. So it's, it's, it's not the answer to everything. I would, I would hate people to, to get that impression. It's absolutely not. But what it is, is gives you a springboard to being able to, to do things. And I think for other more psychological therapies to be more effective in a shorter space of time. Brilliant. Mm. Well, thank you, everybody. The link to Sarah's website and the books will be uh, on the show notes. And it's bus with two S's, isn't it? It is. Bus but when you S's. Google it, you always get some timetable or some <laughs> random collector's thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's bus with two S's when you're, when you're looking for it. Um, and yeah, all I can say is certainly having read Sarah's books and, you know, heard from lots of other parents how what changes it's making and how fantastic it is. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming on and sharing your experiences today uh, and telling us a bit more about it um, and I hope it goes on to help lots of other people let's get it out there into schools and everywhere we can so that we can help all the kids thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to be here with you today thank you so grateful to you for giving us this opportunity thank you so much not a problem so that is all for this week's episode of Sarah Fisher Talks Connected Parenting I will see you next week <laughs>